How about now? Good morning, Emmaus. I'm going to push this forward because I'm deathly afraid of tripping back there. That's all right with you all. Um, if you, uh, it's not as thunderous this morning for some reason, but Emmaus Kids is dismissed. And uh, if you are K through second or third through fifth, you may go now. If you don't know about that, you can take your K through second or third through fifth grade child upstairs and get uh, checked in, and everyone will be glad to show you, show them where they should go, and we will continue to worship the Lord now, uh, the preaching of his word. You can turn to Psalm 15 this morning. That's where our text will be as we uh, celebrate Advent this morning. We have celebrated so well this morning so far. Uh, Psalm 15 is where we will be as we speak of our Prince of Peace. Our Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ, and he came to give us peace with God, specifically by being our great high priest and agent of adoption, and we see that here in Psalm 15. Before I get started, we have a couple of announcements this morning. The first of which is, if you are new to Emmaus or want to get connected with us in any way, there should be a QR code. Yes, good. Okay. Uh, A QR code behind me on this side, and you can fill out our digital connect card that way. If you'd like, there's a physical connect card that will be waiting for you in the lobby at a high top table, and uh, one of our hospitality team members is also there to greet you and fill you in with questions that you have for the church, uh, about the church and, and everything else that you may have. The other QR code up here is to give financially to Emmaus. If you want to snap that real quick, It'll take you to the place where that can be done. Again, if you'd rather do that physically with cash or check, there is a box out in the lobby area where you can do that as well. So there are digital mediums. There are physical mediums. We've got it all. We're ready for you. My second announcement is this, and it's the last one. It is for uh, parents of students and Emmaus students. That's our 6th through 12th grade uh, ministry here, Emmaus students. The Ready Conference is going to be January tw- uh, January 26th through January 27th, and the email is wrong. Uh, so I, I accidentally didn't send the right information or get the right information updated. Uh, however, the link on the email is correct, okay? So the email says it's $75 per student, but the link will get you to $45 per student. There's a way when you sign up that you can uh, pay that with your credit card or you can click a cash option. If you click the cash option, just know I'm coming for you. Um, I, as the director of Emmaus Students, I, I, we will talk and, and that will be that. Uh, it will not be Mary O uh, who is going to graciously uh, look after you. It is me and I will come and get your money uh, for that. So with that being said, Psalm 15, we are starting as Pastor Tyler talked about, our Advent series. And it's a glorious thing to look at the church calendar, isn't it? And some traditions deal with the church calendar a whole lot more than we do, and we know other churches who deal with it a whole lot less than we do. Here at Emmaus, we have times in May when we look at the ascension of Jesus, Pentecost, and even celebrating Trinity Sunday. Earlier this year, we celebrated for the first time uh, on the church calendar, Transfiguration Sunday. But there are two times of the year that almost everyone celebrates the church calendar, and we're entering into one of those now. It is a joy to celebrate Christmas. It's a joy to celebrate the incarnate Lord. We sang this morning, this is one of my 
favorite, absolute favorite verses of all hymns of all time is the second verse of Hark the Herald. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This mystery of the incarnation happens for a reason. There is purpose. And this morning, for our benefit, the purpose is that Christ came to give us peace with God, specifically by being our great high priest and the agent of our adoption into the family of God. Before we read our text in Psalm 15, would you please pray with me? O oh Lord, we know that you are highest by heaven adored. You are our everlasting Lord, and it is so mysterious to us. And yet, you hold all things in your hand. We know that it is, it seems to us late in time that you came, but we know from your scriptures it was in the fullness of time that you, O oh Lord, sent your Son to us. Lord, help us. Spirit, guide our minds as we, as we ponder anew what you can do, the Almighty One. As we hail the incarnate deity, deity be with us. Oh, Jesus, be glorified. It's in your name, our elder brother and our Savior, that we pray these things. Amen. Psalm 15. There are five short verses, and they read as such. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm is broken up into two sections. The first is verse 1, asking questions. And the second part is verses 2 through 5, which is the answer. There are two questions and an answer. The questions are thus. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Immediately we see that the text is speaking of the tabernacle, the place that held the presence of God for the people of God. And he asks, who can journey in there? Who can wander in? Again, he asks a similar question, who shall dwell 
Who shall live on your holy hill? On the place where the tabernacle was, on the temple mount that we would call it later, when the temple was built. In other words, who can live with you? Who can be with you? Who can be in your presence, O God? We see this idea of a tent and the holy hill. Well, some may easily answer, well, a priest can journey in there. And the priests do. They offer sacrifice. And their calendar, there's even days where they journey as far in as they can. But who shall dwell on your holy hill? Priests, they do their work, and then they go back home. Brothers and sisters and friends, it is a glorious thing to proclaim that this psalm has an answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. He is the one, he is the only one who can sojourn in the tent and who can dwell on the holy hill. And yet, because of another sojourn, because of another dwelling, He invites us, and we get to do it too. John 1 gives a beautiful answer to this. It's paradoxical. John 1.14 is probably a bit of a famous verse, and you may have heard it before. And the Word. The Word here is the eternal Word, the second person of the Trinity, God's Son. There is a divine aspect to calling Jesus the Word. And that is what John is doing. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The paradox here, friends, is this. The only way that we get to sojourn in his tent and get to dwell on his holy hill is because he has sojourned in our tent. He became flesh and he has dwelt among us. There's a sense where his flesh is the tabernacle among us and his glory, his glorious presence, his fullness of grace and truth. It's here for us. And you may be asking, why is it here for us? Well, the preceding verses help us out in that. John 1, 9 through 13 says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This true light is the eternal word. This true light is the one that we know as Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Let us not forget the beauty of the incarnation here. That the author of creation writes himself into the story. That the world was made through the word, through the son. And he was in it. He came into it. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him. 
All who believed in his name, that includes you and me, if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. There's salvation language there of justification. You have the right to be a child of God. And yet another salvation language of adoption to be the children of God. Who were born not of blood, not because of whatever status you have by who your parents are, nor of the will of the flesh, not because you want to, nor because the will of man, not because someone else wants it for you. Why are you born a child of God? Because of God. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the paradox that we see is that who can sojourn in the tent? Who shall dwell on the holy hill? Well, we can because he has. That he has dwelt among us. That he has put on our tent. It is because of Jesus that we can answer the question, we can. And that is an answer of holy hope. Friends, you may have thought that question, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And you may have read the answer below and said, it's hopeless. I can't be that. I can't do it. I'm not blameless. I don't walk blamelessly. I try to do what is right, but I don't do it. Speaking truth in my heart, my heart leads me this way and that way. I don't know which way is the truth from my heart. It says he does not slander with his tongue. Oh, my tongue, how slanderous has it been. Evil to his neighbor, reproach against his friend. You may feel hopeless. Maybe because you feel like it's impossible. Maybe you feel hopeless because it, it doesn't matter. Maybe who cares about a tent? Who cares about a hill? Why should it matter? Well, I hope you've heard because... Those are expressions of being in the presence of God. Of being ones known as the people of God. The expression here in the psalm is exactly what Pastor Tyler said from Revelation 21. The dwelling place of God is with man. And it is because he sojourned in our tent and he dwelt among us that we may sojourn there and dwell on his holy hill. In his presence. I hope if you responded in any kind of hopeless way. That this text can lift your chin to look at Jesus. And respond with a holy hope in him. We've looked at the questions. Now we move to the answer. And the answer is as we've said, someone that we cannot be, that we cannot be apart from Christ, and yet, it's here for us. This is, as the same as Psalm 1 says, the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. He's an ideal Israelite. 
To which every Israelite who read that and said in his heart, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I'm him. They're lying to themselves. For the only one who has realized the ideal is Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to warn you, if you are one who says that you walk blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in your heart apart from Christ, your haughty hubris is not helping you. It's keeping you from looking at the one who helps you in this. The one who came down who sojourned in your tent and dwelt among us. You don't get there on your own. You don't get to his place on your own. You need him. So let's look at the answer. The second verse tells us of what he does. And yet the third verse mirrors that and what he does not do. This ideal one. He walks blamelessly. He does what is right and he speaks truth in his heart. And instead of, uh, and in the mirror of speaking truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue. In the mirror of doing what is right, he does no evil to his neighbor. How he walks blamelessly, he takes up no reproach against his friend. We can peer through the scriptures of the New Testament and we see that Jesus Christ in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, the narrative shows that he is the one who does this. Even as he approaches his passion, when each and one of, every one of us would slander with our tongue, would do evil to our neighbor, would take up the reproach against a friend who is to betray us, he does not. He stands firm. Why? For as the end of the psalm says, he does these things and he is never moved. He is unshakable. He is immovable. Verse 2 and verse 3 mirror each other and they speak of what he does and what he does not do. In verse 4 we see that he is the arbiter of justice and judgment. And it is only because he is who he is in verse 2 and 3. In his blamelessness, in his righteousness, in his truth. That he is able to measure a man. In whose, in his eyes, a vile person is despised. And he honors those who fear the Lord. Jesus is the one who separates the sheeps from the goats. I should say sheep. Sheep's not a word. He is the one who knows the vile person and those who honor the Lord. You may be saying, but aren't we all vile? Who can honor the Lord? Well, that's where the beauty of adoption steps in. That's where the beauty of us being adopted as God's children, that he gave us the right to become his children. It's not just a simple, you now have a new name. It's not a simple, now you live in a new place. It's not a simple, now you don't go and do the things you are. You are of the family of God. And that is a wonderful place to be because it comes with an inheritance. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 4. How beautiful is this for Christmas time? This first phrase in Galatians 4.4 4 is so wonderful. But when the fullness of time 
had come. I don't know about you, but my life feels like it's going this way, it's going that way. It may feel shaky at times, and yet it is not the fullness of time had come that all the right things had stacked up in just the right way that God said, now it's time, it's not, it's time. No, he's the orchestrator of it all. He's the one who sets up kingdoms and tears them down. He is the one who said, now is the time because I made it the time. In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, to do what? He was born of a woman. He was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That's him coming down. That's him putting on our tent. That's him dwelling among us. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because we are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There is no other way that you can call out to God as your father except because of Jesus Christ. Because God sent his son, we have that ability. Because his spirit indwells us, we cry out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you are a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. And as an heir, you come, you get an inheritance. It's not just a new place to live, but it's knowing that everything in the house is yours to access. The refrigerator, the blankets, the couch, the laundry machine. It's all there. When you had it not, it's there for you. Friends, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were orphaned, living in darkness, lost and alone. Because he put on our tent and dwelt among us. Because he gave us the right to become children of God. As we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, we are the ones who get to dwell on his holy hill. We are the ones with an inheritance so rich, so beautiful. We are the ones who get to honor and fear the Lord. As he separates the sheep and the goats. As he separates the vile person and those who fear the Lord. He is the arbiter of justice and judgment. And then there's this phrase, who swears to his own hurt. Now this is a very interesting phrase. And it is is very interesting to hear. For there is this idea of an oath. An oath, even if it hurts. He keeps his promises even when it's not to his advantage. And it's his own hurt. It's not someone else's. There's a stark contrast with one of the judges. His name was Jephthah in Judges 11. Jephthah was brought up to fight against the Ammonites, to save the people of Israel from their idolatry, and then to rid of this other people so that they could worship the Lord. And Jephthah, he prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, I've come to bargain. 
Give the Ammonites unto my hand, and I will sacrifice to you a burnt offering of whatever first comes out, to my, out from my house to greet me when I return home. Of course he's thinking through, maybe it's my strongest bull. I can run the fastest, or it's my most healthy spotless lamb that will surely come to greet me. And sure enough, he defeats the Ammonite. And sure enough, as he's walking home, victorious, proud, thanking God, out from his gates comes dancing his daughter. And he honors his vow, his tragic vow, and his daughter honors the vow. And yet we see the contrast is that Jephthah wanted safety for the Israelites at the expense of someone else, of something else. And yet this one, he swears even if it hurts himself. The same kind of oath that we see in Hebrews chapter 7. An oath that secured Jesus as the guarantor of our better covenant. For those who formerly became priests, priests of Aaron, were made such without an oath. But this one, this Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110, and listen to how it sounds a lot like this last two phrases of 15.4, Psalm 15.4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is the one who secures that better covenant. And in moments, we're going to feast on Bread, that is his body broken for us, and a cup that is the blood of that new covenant. You see, that atoning work of Jesus, that's the way that we get to be adopted. That's the way that he is our great high priest. That is the way that he came to give us peace with God. And yet he does not change. It does not take much for you to hear that from this pulpit. Friends, oh, we are easily and quickly going to proclaim the immutability of our God. You've heard it before, and you will hear it over and over again, especially as the text says it. He does not change. There is no change in God. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing, for that makes him our rock. That makes him our fortress. That makes him one who will never be shaken, never be moved. And because he is our rock and he is our fortress, we will never be shaken and never be moved because our, we are with him. It's the story of the little kid and the bullies come up, but the big brother enters in and says, no, 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 not today. For he is our elder brother. And he shall never be moved. Verse 5 shows us that he is merciful. 
Look how he is generous. He does not put out his money at interest. He does not take a bribe against the innocent. And when we look at this as the eternal word, we don't see this as mere money. We don't see this as a bribe of financial gain. What is his, what is his currency? His currency is love and grace. His currency is charity and mercy. You don't, you don't have to give that back to him. The free gift of salvation is not something that you owe him back with interest. It is just that, a free gift. And he does not take a bribe against the innocent. Even when he was tempted in the desert, he took no bribe that Satan offered. He is the ideal Israelite. Jesus is the answer to the question, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? It is Jesus Christ. So what do we do with it? Pastoral charges. I have two of them this morning. First and foremost. It's familiar. Rest in the gospel of Jesus. Rest in your adoption as a son and daughter. Do not fear your natural inability to be this person in verses 2 through 5. For Christ is the ideal Israelite on your behalf. As soon as we answer a pastoral charge that isn't resting in that gospel, it is doing something outside of Jesus Christ's gift to us. Rest in it. Know you are a son and a daughter, that you have an inheritance, that there is freedom given to you in Christ, and you don't need to go back to being a slave. So when temptation comes knocking, because we are trying to walk blamelessly, and we are trying to do what is right, and we are trying to rest in the gospel by speaking truth in our hearts, the truth we speak is that Jesus has paid it all. That he was born again that man may no more die. He was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Rest in the gospel. Rest in your adoption as sons and daughters in the family of God. The second pastoral charge is this. Where verses 2 through 5 may seem like naturally we won't measure up, it is something supernaturally that we can strive for. It is with the help of the Spirit and the model of Jesus that we get to strive to walk blamelessly. That our tongues may be mastered. That our neighbors may do evil to us, and yet we will do no evil in return. That we will not take up a reproach against our friend. I ask you to pray for me in that right now. We can be ones who trust that his eyes see the vile person, and his eyes know how to honor those who fear the Lord. We know that even though we change ever so much, that he will not. Like him, we can be charitable. Our currency can change from USD to love. 
We can imitate Christ. I believe the book of James helps us do this. Uh, Ashlyn and I got married in the, I believe it's the last French Huguenot church in America. And as congregants who are exiting, probably exiting sometime right around now this morning, up on the doorway, over the doorway, it says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. It's referencing James 1.22. Verses 22 through 25 read this way, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I have a wackadoo idea that every time in the book of James you read the word word, you may be thinking this, but James, I believe, is thinking like John and is thinking when you hear the word word, you should think Jesus Christ. So when he says, be doers of the word, be imitators of Jesus Christ, as your older brother has been, Be like him. For as we see in Psalm 15, verses 2 through 5, he is the perfect law. He is the law of liberty. He has persevered. We don't just hear the words of Jesus, but we do them. James is also clearly referencing the Sermon on the Mount. At the end, Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not do them, he's like a man who builds his house on a bunch of sand. And the wind and the rain, they come, and that house comes tumbling down, crashing to the ground. Destruction. But if you hear my words and do them, you are like a man who builds his house on a rock. And the wind and the rain, they come, and the house will stand. I don't know if you're an older sibling or a younger sibling or an only child. I am a younger sibling. And so I understand what it means to imitate an older sibling. Even in the little things. I remember vividly my mediocre attempts of a snack at grandma's house. I'd go to the cookie jar and I'd get the cookies and I'd slosh some milk in a cup and I'd go sit down and then my sister with grace and beauty would strut in. Being taller than me, she reached higher on the shelf and got the soft, chewy cookies. And she placed them along a plate in a beautiful array. There was not just this idea of a a delectable snack, but also a delight to the eye. And then she took that plate and she placed it in the microwave for a beautiful six seconds. And I'm sitting there dunking my chips ahoy in the, just with my mouth agape at this amazing thing that she's done. And then I say, I want to do that. Can I do that? I wanted to imitate her. And I know if you're probably an older sibling, you're like, that's so annoying. <laughs> As it was to her. And yet we have the perfect older brother. We have the perfect older brother who says, 
imitate me. Look like me. Look into the law of liberty. Look into the perfect law. Look at verses 2 through 5 in Psalm 15. And be like me. We can only do this if we first rest in the gospel, friends. He has made peace with God for us. Because he is our great high priest. And he is our agent of adoption. Would you pray with me? Lord, give us strength and wisdom and ability to imitate you. May we act as children. May we rest as children, knowing that we are yours. As we ponder the incarnation continually this Christmas season, may we look to Jesus, not only of this, as the one who secured our salvation, but as the one who is a model for our living. May we live for you, our Christian living. Be with us now as we partake of the bread and the cup. May we commune with you. Spirit, lift us to heaven. May we ascend and commune with our God. It is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.